The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Spotify for podcasters. Hi, friends. This is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. Spotify for podcasters is now available for use by anyone out there who's interested in producing, monetizing, and distributing their podcast. You can have access to some of the best tools in the industry using Spotify for podcasters. Go to podcasters.spotify.com for more details. Chemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss the infrastructure for control. We'll be reading tonight from a 1936 book titled Occult Theocracy, the writer of which was one Miss Edith Starr Miller, who was trying to warn us of the infiltration into society of the occult secret fraternities and the reach that they had into politics, media, and every other aspect of our lives. So she put together this book detailing these different facets of the control that the secret society groups have had over many of the institutions in this world, and not the least of which is the one we're going to cover tonight, the banking system. This is primarily the biggest piece of infrastructure that these dark occultists who run things in this world have in place in order to control the masses. So with that being the case, we're going to see what's been done, when it was set up, the little bit of the history of it, and how these things came about. And maybe we'll go into a little bit more detail on certain facets of things here, but you need to understand... The banking institutions have always had their hand in social engineering agendas, and they are one of the primary establishments that pushes social engineering tropes, as it were. This is where centralized control comes from. It's the people running these banking cartels. These are the ones that are kind of the invisible power, the invisible government behind the governments of the world. The hidden hand, they're sometimes referred to as. Also, what you might call the deep state. That seems to be a common name that's come up the past several years to describe this. These are the entrenched people who are not elected officials who tend to steer policies in this world through government and quasi-government organizations throughout the world. 
and also philanthropical societies, as it were, these ones that disguise themselves as doing good works, and meeting usually several times per year to discuss the future of mankind without our permission to do so, (laughs) without our consent to do so, they meet and decide what's best for us. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm sure you probably aren't either. Places like the World Economic Forum and places like this, organizations like this, tie hand in hand with the banking cartels because you better bet your bottom dollar that the big banking establishment has members sitting in place in very important positions within these philanthropic organizations that make policy decisions and also within various boards of government and quasi-government institutions as well. So when it comes down to brass tacks, these are largely the centralized hubs from which social engineering controls snap into place. From the banking cartels, from the banking system, those behind the banking system. And as we've discussed many times before, it always, always, always ties back to occult origins. Back in the mystery school teachings and the secret society groups. So that being the case, let's get into the reading here. And we're going to start in a portion here called the International Bank. The International Bank founded 1930. The internationalization of finance reached its apotheosis when, on April 23, 1930, the International Bank at Basel, commissioned to enroll the central banks of nine nations in its membership, was founded. As for the delegates from the different countries attending the meeting, their names signify little, for owing to the speed and unanimity with which official appointments were made, It is evident that they were all instructed, or in other words, pledged, to obey orders. By whom were the orders given? History may answer that question someday. I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. I don't think history has really done so as yet. To be fair, remember, this was written in 1936 as a warning to the world, and some of the things written in this book are very profound even today when we look back and see what's happened since then. So they're talking about the foundation of the Bank of International Settlements, as we know it, in Basel, Switzerland. This is one of the centralized hubs through which the central banking groups work. And this was largely established to give punitive damages to Germany for its role in World War I. And I think we all know what happened as a result of these sanctions and stuff placed against Germany, how they were forced to pay back reparations for things done during World War I. And this, of course, led to various policies within the German country that led to the control of Nazism and the rise of Nazi policies throughout Germany, and of course, the escalation into World War II. So we see the central banks, once again, they had a role in shaping the future, as it were, in this regards. And we could look at this book written in 1936 and see that didn't happen until after the fact here. World War II. 
was a direct result of the interference of the banking cartels forcing the German people to pay reparations to other countries. And this was the main role of the Bank of International Settlements. This is what it was formed to do. So keep that in mind and understand this led to some very catastrophic things. Set forward a chain reaction of events that led up to World War II. Now then you have to ask the question, did this all happen organically? Was it quite by accident or was it orchestrated? I would fall under the camp that says it was all orchestrated. I think they very well knew what they were up to in forming an organization like this. They knew what they were doing. And I think they had some pre-planning involved with the events of World War II to some degree or another here. And the problem is, we only view this through the lens of revisionist history. We do, don't have any direct access to what really happened during that era. Most of the greatest generation, as they came to be known, have died off now. But if you've ever talked to your grandparents and you're of my age, many of them remembered World War II and would tell you things about those times that you wouldn't read about in a textbook or hear about on a television documentary. Things happened a little differently than what is presented in the mainstream narrative because what happens through the course of time and space, as it were, distance and time away from these events the victors write the history books, and the social engineers write the history books. That's the more important thing to remember in all of this. The social engineers, the ones that only want you to remember certain facets of events. There's agendas at play, ladies and gentlemen. There always is. If you thought fake news was bad, wait till you find out about fake history. So with that being the case, <laughs> we see revisionist history can be a problem, separates us from some of the original facts. But this takes us a little closer to the original facts, as it were, this writing from 1936. That's why I always will say it's a good thing to find many of these old, old books and look at what they say because you'll get a more accurate picture of what was going on during those times than you do from looking backward from today by some historian, maybe relating to you events of that time, some historian today, rather than something that was written during that era. And this was written during that era. And the woman who wrote this book had an inside track in the secret society groups, and she very well understood where this was going. So she sent out this warning to the world, and this is only a portion of it, talking about the banking interests. So let's get back to the reading. Mr. Gates Magera was elected chairman of the board of directors with Mr. Leon Fraser, his deputy, and Sir Charles Addis and Dr. Melquire were elected vice chairman. The significance of this international institution was commented upon in an article entitled Mammon being enthroned, enthroned by Arthurian in the Reverie, dated Sunday, April 13, 1930, in the following terms, which, while constituting a warning to the English people, is actually an appeal to the people of the world. I'm going to pause for a second here, folks. So this is from an article 
titled Mammon Being Enthroned by an author known as Arthurian in a magazine titled Referee, which was dated Sunday, April 13th, 1930. And we're going to quote from it now. Quote, One is amazed at the equanimity with which Sir Charles Addis describes the difficulty of enabling the Bank for International Settlements to avoid interference with the sovereign rights of the people of each of so many countries. Surely the possibility alone ought to be adequate condemnation of the bank. The opening for chicanery, brute force, bribery, corruption, and war in the supposed solution of this problem is unprecedented in the history of the world. End quote. Going to pause for a moment there. So people were pointing this out when the Bank of International Settlements was founded in 1930. Many people recognized that this was a recipe for disaster, the making of an institution like this, that it would interfere with the sovereign rights of people from various countries of the world. And sure enough, banking interests today interfere with sovereign rights of the people. Who do you think the government, the United States government, owes all this money to? We always hear about the national debt and how it's in the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars now. Who do we owe that money to? Think about that. Well, it's these central banking interests that we get paid through the, the Bank of International Settlements. That's who's holding the keys to the kingdom, as it were. So the, this, as presented as the solution to the problem, creates greater problems. But let's read on, because we're going to quote again from this gentleman that wrote in this article. And he says, quote, The bank is to exist for 50 years, if it can. It is to pay no taxes during all that time. And its assets and deposits are to be immune from seizure, confiscation, and censorship, in peace or war, it is also to be subject to no restriction or prohibition of any kind on its imports and exports of gold or currency. So little do government decisions regarding the bank really count that before the scheme has been sanctioned, the first part of the subscription has already been subscribed. The bankers and businessmen to be associated are to ensure that there will be no uncertainty about the business that the bank will promote. The money troubles which lie at the root of the industrial depression and financial uncertainty are, of course, going to be cured by them, or so they say. Going to pause for a moment there, folks, in the middle of this guy's quote to point out that he's absolutely correct in what he's pointing out here, and to point out the fact that this Bank of International Settlements was only supposed to exist for 50 years which would mean that it would have to dissolve in 1980, and it has never done so. And anybody who knows anything about the centralization of power knows that they had no intention of dissolving this entity after such a period of time. This has led to the more centralization of banking, as it were. The infrastructure for control in the modern world. Money. It's what makes the world go around, isn't it? At least in the modern era. So he, he was pointing this out. But let's continue on, because he continues to go on here. Quote, The governor of the Bank of England, Mr. Montague Norman, is going to be a director of this foreign bank. 
What an honor. This board, with the daily lives of hundreds of millions of people at its mercy, is going to meet at least ten times a year, four times at Basel. The bank owes allegiance to no single government. It need keep no currency reserve. This bank that owes no allegiance to anyone can do as it likes. Mammon is enthroned upon the world to make what profits it can with unrestricted powers for 50 years. In addition to its extraordinary powers, it has control of the machinery of reparations, which contains the means by which the wherewithal to liquidate reparations can be squeezed out of the receivers at a profit to the payers. Economic control involves political control as well as every other control of any people. Truly, the megalomania of finance never went further. Truly, there has never been anything like it in the world before. End quote. Gonna pause for a moment there again. Fifty years. The Bank of International Settlements was only supposed to exist for fifty years. Of course, that all changed in World War II, did it not? Now, are you beginning to see how some of these things may have been orchestrated in order to centralize control and power into the hands of a select few? Control. Mr. Amschel Rothschild, it was quoted as saying, I care not who makes the laws of a country. Give me control of its financial system and I will control that country. That's not the exact quote, but you get the idea. It's a pretty good paraphrase. The Rothschilds understood this. The bankers themselves understand this, the people controlling these central banks, these institutions. And, of course, the Bank of International Settlements, no different. This was all brought together from various of the other central banks, nine particular central banks, as it were, in the beginning, but now they've incorporated just about every other central bank that exists in this world. And these are the ones that control the entire financial systems of nations of the world. And in so doing, they have a modicum of control over the people. Now remember, if you want to get down to the brass tacks of all of this, you need to understand that money is a unit of measure that represents social energy. And when you understand this, and you understand that social energy has been quantified in the form of money, when you understand, when you quantify a thing, you're relegating measures to it that can be controlled, and that's what the entire system is based upon. They want total control and they use money to get there because it's an accurate measure of social energy. And I think maybe we'll review the paper Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars at some point here in the near future just to reemphasize how this has been done and put in place. But that's a subject for another evening here, as it were. But let's continue reading here. Now, this gentleman also goes on to, quote, to uh, be quoted some more here. So he says again, quote, People of England, 
Remember how the stranglehold of the rank of England on all the other banks, on all the other financial houses, upon every business and upon every home and family has grown from the comparatively negligible sum of £1.2 million of similar credit free of interest and the usufruct thereof, this new usufruct will be the impoverishment, debasement, extinction, and disintegration of all that the masses of this country care for, and the certain decline and fall and redistribution into foreign hands of the British Empire. End quote. Going to pause for a moment there. So he's talking about what he calls a usufruct, which is another term for usury. Usury. So this is introducing the idea of interest rates into the mix here, usury, which was considered a sin in Old Testament terms, going back, usury, and what this represents is you lend people money and then they have to pay you back more than they borrowed, usury, and this is what was established by the Bank of International Settlements at the time, which was considered sinful in those days, as well as being just basically unethical, as it were. So, understand what they did. They shifted the whole culture in introducing this type of an idea into the bounds here. And when you're talking about reparations, reparations with usury attached, this is what led to a lot of unpleasant things in Germany at the time and gave rise to the ideas that underlied World War II and brought World War II about from the German point of view. So when you understand this, this was a recipe for disaster. This was a recipe for contention to begin with. And we see similar things always happening today because the old tricks are the best tricks, aren't they? And this is what they do ad nauseum throughout all the world. The banks, they'll throw money behind certain programs in certain countries and not others. They'll force others to make reparations to others. And in so doing, they create animosity and division between various countries, between various groups. And it ultimately will lead to some type of a, a conflict at a future time when the reparations become too heavy for the standard citizen of such a country to maintain. But let's continue on with the reading here. And he goes on to say here, quote, in this country, we have asked for the creation of interest-free credit to be lent to the people to be used for the production of wealth by and for the people. But by a great conspiracy of silence, the idea is being suppressed. The hidden prize is not intended for us. Only those who have been swindled on a race course by three-card-trick men can realize what is now being done to all the peoples of the allied countries by a debased money and credit-upon-credit credit trick, the like of which has never been attempted in the whole world before. And he goes on to say the alleged 80 million pounds per annum that Germany is supposed to pay to the United States for 59 years is a delusion and a snare. Rut, the aim of the section of Wall Street repudiated by President Hoover, which initially promoted the idea of the plan, or also called the young plan, is that through Germany, this section of Wall Street shall dominate the world. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So the Bank of International Settlements 
was founded and backed by nine central banks and by the various powerful allied countries represented in the Great War, World War One, And they forced Germany to pay reparations in the tune of 80 million pounds per year for 59 years to the United States alone. And that doesn't even include some of the other countries they had to pay reparations to. So this is, in a sense, applying a tax to the citizenry there in Germany that had nothing to do with the conflict. But now they're the ones paying the reparations. Do you see how this works? Do you see how this works? So this causes some dissension, as it were, conflict that will ultimately lead to greater events that happen when the people feel slighted. The German people felt slighted. They had nothing to do with their nation's military getting involved and their government officials getting involved. And don't we see the same thing today? Your average American person, we have nothing in common with the people that are allegedly governing us and the people who continually take us into war and conflict and give away money to other nations of the world for war and conflict. That's not how we see ourselves We're not largely backing any kind of a warfare campaign, are we? We don't want any of that, but yet our governments do it. And then who foots the bill? We do. Well, wouldn't that make you a little bit cranky if you had to foot the bill for some such thing? And this is what happened in Germany in the era between World War I and World War II the people got a little upset because they had to work really hard and much of the sweat of their labor went to pay back debts to other foreign lands that really didn't offer them any kind of good incentive. So this made people upset, as it were. And then you get radical politicians coming forward saying the right things that the people want to hear calling out the war machine as it were calling out the central banks of the world calling out these powers behind the scenes that are steering things and they say all the right things and the people get behind them in mass They call out the other politicians for being crooked, being criminals, doing corrupt things. They call out the corruption. They say all the right things. They get a massive amount of people to follow them, and they set up a type of uh, police force, an internal police force of their own, and establish a party. And we see the echoes of that even today. I mean, you could cite the example, look at everything that happened surrounding Donald Trump. Look at everything that happened surrounding Joe Biden. In fact, if you look at the inauguration, when he was inaugurated into the presidency, he had the National Guard 
Select group of National Guardsmen. Military actually guarding that portion of Washington where he was being sworn in. This guy who allegedly got the most votes in history for the presidency. He felt the need to have a militarized force to protect him on the inauguration day. Doesn't make any sense, does it? But this is the kind of tactic that was used in Nazi Germany as well. You get the cult of personality, as it were. And we could, we could apply this to any politician. We could apply it to both the Biden administration and the Trump administration. And we could apply it to the things that Trump is trying to pull now. It's all political theater, folks. It's all for good show. To create the dissension and the demand for something to be done. And it always invariably leads to more centralized control. Especially of the monetary system, you'll notice. More centralized control. And sometimes they go through some very tedious gymnastics to get there. But they always get there. Like writing out, say, I don't know, uh, checks to everybody. Writing out checks, $1,200 checks, $600 checks, whatever it was. For everybody. Stimulus checks, they call them, to stimulate the economy. And all it does is devalue the dollar. And they know this. In the short term, hey, it looks real nice and the people like it. Hey, I got this extra money. Yeah, well, no, you don't. You have this extra debt now. Congratulations. That's how it works. It is a fiat system. We understand that. But all it does is devalue the dollar more. And they've, they did similar things in these different eras, except the people had a lot firmer handle on how things really worked back then. Now we've been so conditioned to think that this is the normal way of things, that to, to live by credit is the way of things, you see. We've lost the ideal of generations past where you save your money, you save up to buy something and own it outright. Now we borrow against our future. And this is the problem, and this is what the central banks have instituted in this world. We're borrowing against the future constantly. And at some point, it comes time to pay the piper as it were, and that is most definitely an allegory relating to the myth of Pan paying the piper, because we're entering that time, this shift over between the ages, as it were. And this is what they want to institute. So, in so doing, they've managed to capture a hold of the greatest tool for controlling people that ever was, central banking the banking system issuing credit to people and in so doing they've made us wage slaves in the modern era no doubt about it but let's continue reading here so after having quoted that gentleman the author of this book miss edith star miller comes to a conclusion she says conclusion and 
She refers back to the rest of the book as well, pointing to the occult fraternities controlling these things. The foregoing pages have had for object to show how, whether open or secret, a great many societies, Masonic and non-Masonic, of good or evil intent, seem to function towards the same goal under centralized leadership. This book claims to be an endeavor to prove that. Number one, owing to their union, all secret societies, whether political, philanthropic, or occult in appearance, serve a political purpose unknown to the majority of their members. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. So remember this statement because it is absolutely 100% true and on point. Owing to their union, all secret societies, whether political, philanthropic, or occult in appearance, serve a political purpose unknown to the majority of their members. This holds true for all of these fraternities, Freemasons inclusive, and many of them have no clue what they're involved with. Not a clue. So there's always an underlying political purpose behind the things that these organizations do. So let's move on to the second point here. She says, number two, the power wielded by such societies is real and its character is international. I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. Also 100% true and on point. These secret societies have more power than you think in the operation of governments, businesses. Their reach is everywhere. It's the octopus of control, as it's been referred to. Their tentacles reach everywhere. Every corner of the world. And it, guess what? It's all centralized at the top. There's very few players involved at the top that really steer and direct and guide and make decisions in this world and push agendas and set policies. And it's all to benefit themselves. Themselves. Not you and I, not the masses. They find it entertaining to think that uh, people actually believe that their governments care about them. <laughs> Do you really think that's true? Your government couldn't care less about you. The only thing they care about is maybe collecting your assets, and that's about it. Now let's move on here. Let's continue on. Number three, regardless of their exoteric objects, the esoteric aims of most secret societies are all directed towards the same end. Namely, the concentration of political, economic, and intellectual power into the hands of a small group of individuals, each of whom controls a branch of the international life, material, and spiritual of the world today. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. Once again, spot on, 100% true. This was being pointed out in the 1930s. The 1930s. And here we are, nearly 100 years later falling further and further into the grips of this great conspiracy, as it were. And most are blind or clueless about it. They don't have the first idea. They think everything that happens is just random happenstance. It's all coincidence, isn't it? All coincidence. Well, 
I think you're sorely mistaken if you think it's all coincidence and all these things just kind of fell into place by accident. That's not how the world works. Never was, never will be. But let's continue with the reading. So the author goes on to name. The main branches thus controlled are... And we're going to give these in list of the order of which the main branches are that control things in the world, that are controlled by the secret society groups. The main branches thus controlled are, number one, the international banking groups and their subsidiaries. Number two, international industrial and commercial control groups with their interlocking directorates. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So, so do you see, and this is kind of a step down. This is showing the pyramid structure of the control grid here. All right. Starts with the central banks, the international banking groups. Then it moves down to international industrial and commercial control groups with their interlocking directorates. This would be international corporations. And then we're going to move down to the next step down. And this is an important one. Number three, education, art, literature, science, and religion as vehicles of intellectual and moral perversion. I'm going to pause for a moment right there, folks. So remember, these people from these secret society groups, these dark occultists who run things, these are the organizations that they deemed necessary for them to garner total control in this world and the importance of which these things ranked. So the first was the international banking. The second was big international business. And the third being education, art, literature, science, and religion as vehicles of inter intellectual and moral perversion. So they sought to establish a foothold in these different organizations to promote their ideas, their perverse moral ideas, as it were, in order to break society down to make them more easily controllable, break apart the, the traditional family unit, the core of civilization, break that down to make the people dependent upon the banksters, as it were, and the government for direction, because you see, it's it's a, a boat without an udder, right? Without a rudder. I rudder, I should say, not an udder. <laughs> but uh, you get the idea. So it's a directionless. If you have no core value of what civilization is, no core unit, no structure, well, you're you have no guiding principle. And that's what they sought to do, is break down the guiding principles of people, desolate the system that was already existent in order to institute this new system, this new world order, as it were. But let's continue on the fourth portion here. The groups already organized throughout different countries for the study of international affairs, political, financial, and economic so we're going to pause for a moment there. So this would be your philanthropic organizations, your think tank groups, all of these different places, the World Economic Forum. Prime example here, Brookings, Rand Corporation, these type of groups, 
fourth in importance here to the power structure. Number five, the international press, the medium used to mold public opinion. I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. Media. This is the fifth most important tenet that they need control of. And boy, do they have it lock, stock, and barrel because 95% of every type of media out there is owned and controlled by just a handful of corporations. Just a handful of corporations that are controlled by these very same dark occultists who run things, who control the banking system, who control the education system, who control the big businesses, who control the philanthropic organizations. They control the media. No doubt about it. Same parent companies. And this is why they're putting this order of operations, so to say. It, it steps down from the top of the pyramid down towards the bottom to where the control structures come in place. So remember that the press, the media, used to mold public opinion. That was the fifth pillar here, as it were. Number six, the political party organizations of each nation, whether conservative, liberal, radical, socialist, etc., existing in every country with parliamentary administration. I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So essentially, it says here they seek to control both sides of the government. They seek to establish sovereign parties within government systems here. Doesn't matter what kind they are. They control the conservatives. They control the liberals. They control Republicans and Democrats. They're all in the same wheelhouse. They all work towards the same goals. It's all political theater. Tell you this all the time. Here it is. It's in their blueprint here. This is what they seek to control. And this is only number six. This is only the, the sixth most important facet for control here established. So we have all these other ones that kind of lead down into that thing. So when we're talking about electing government officials and whatnot, this is very low on the totem pole for control. Has very little value whatsoever. Very li little influence on the things that happen in this world. Understand that. It's a joke. It's a joke that these dark occultists have played upon you. to Make you think... that they, they, they laugh at this notion that you think that you can go out and vote, and that you can actually change things through your vote, that you can maybe counter something you don't like that they're promoting with your vote. They laugh at you. You're a laughing stock if you think your vote counts towards anything. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter. Now, they may offer you some selections, but guess what? Any of those selections you're given are already controlled by them anyway, so it doesn't matter who you vote for. They have it lock, stock, and barrel already, you see. And it's very low on the power pyramid of where things need to get done. So changing political affiliations or changing up the players in government offices does very little. does nothing at all. Nothing. It's just for show. It's to establish this type of hierarchy system for you. So you think you know who's controlling things. You think you know who you need to speak to or who to change out if you want things to really change. 
They make you think that, but it's not the case. You're just given pre-selected candidates that will already serve the purposes of these dark occultists at the top of the power structure. The ones that really run things, the ones that steer and direct the international banks, the banking system at the topmost level. But let's continue on because we have one more, number seven here. Internationally organized corruption, the white slave traffic, vice and drug rings, etc. So I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. Crime, organized crime, gangs, gangs included, human trafficking, drug trafficking. Are you beginning to see the evil behind all of this? This isn't just maybe some really wealthy guys that decided, hey, we want to help humanity and we think the best way we could do it is by combining forces and doing some good things. No, that's not what it is at all. Look at the things they've gotten their hands in. Look at the shape of the world today. Look at the corrupting principles that have taken over this world today. And understand, organized crime sits just below the politicians and the farce that is government. Organized government and political parties. The organized crime sits at just the level below that. And it's through all of these various aspects of things that they control the masses. Through the use primarily of money the system of money. And it's interesting how they shape and mold people's minds and opinions through the various facets that they do, on stepping on down this power pyramid of sorts. And this shows you how power is centralized, where it's centralized, and how it steps down and is disseminated out to the masses to steer the masses in certain ways. Even down to the point of, uh, they're talking about organized crime. Well, aren't we affected by crime? We most certainly are, especially when they try to use their media to make us fearful of this crime. Which is largely promulgated by these same control groups. Do you really think gangs are, are that organized on their own? Do you really think that... Uh, these gangs are really that smart and sophisticated that they do the things they do. They're able to traffic drugs and, and humans across borders so efficiently and easily and disseminate them all throughout the world unhindered, as it would seem. Evading law enforcement, evading national forces, international forces, do you really think they're that sophisticated and organized? Do you really think it's a coincidence that uh, many of the gang symbols are, well, very much the same as Freemasonic symbols? Do you think the initiation ceremonies are similar to the secret societies by accident? Just food for thought, folks. So even something like gangs 
this is all controlled as well from this same centralized place. But let's continue reading. There's still a bit more to cover here. Any one of the branches above enumerated has innumerable ramifications, and the control of even the least of them cannot be obtained without money. Money, therefore, becomes one of the most powerful levers in the hands of men who form the controlling groups. Thus does research in the realm of finance become indispensable to the students bent upon tracing the real power behind universal control. This power, they will find, is wholly in the hands of international Jewish financiers. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So, the author here points to Jewish financiers. Of course, they're referring to families like the Rothschilds, who happen to be Jewish. But it's not all Jewish financiers. It's not just a faction of the Jewish people involved. It's not fair to paint them all with that same brush. But this is this author that we're reading from's opinion. Now, there are some very powerful people involved in this whole conspiracy, as it were, that are Jewish, yes. I will concede to that fact. But I wouldn't say that it's all of them that it's completely in their hands. I don't think that's the case. But at any rate, let's go ahead and we'll continue reading here. Glancing at the body frame of all political organizations, do we not perceive that money is its main sinew? It would not sound preposterous to state that the electoral system is similar to that of auction, insomuch as it favors the highest bidder. In election campaigns, the successful candidate is not necessarily the most deserving or worthy of votes, but too frequently he was a but too frequently he who was able to buy the greater number of votes. Votes are captured by slogans, propaganda, and not unfrequently bribery. Only an infinitesimal percentage among them will ever strive to find out the power or powers behind the candidate, and by whom he is, in effect, controlled. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Once again, very true. Who backs this candidate? Who controls this candidate? Well, it's all the same people. Regardless of party affiliation, regardless of what ineffectual promises they're going to make you, they're controlled. They don't get into a high political office without being controlled in some way. It's not how it works. Maybe local elections, maybe there's some legitimacy to those. But often what happens is if those who win local elections and control local things decide they want to move on to something grander, well, they get incorporated into the bigger system and also become corrupted into it, as it were. That's the way that it works. Sometimes you do have people with good intentions going to Washington or getting involved with more bigger platforms, political platforms or some such thing. And when they do, they usually wind up getting sucked into the culture that is that, that group. 
And at some point, they get dirt on them. And in so doing, that makes them blackmailable, makes them controllable. And they'll do what their financiers want them to do. The ones that support their campaigns, their contributors, as it were. So we can see that there's truth in that statement. But let's continue reading. Yet, the importance of such an investigation is both obvious and necessary, for it is a proven fact that candidates to Parliament in one country have sometimes been controlled by a man or group of men in another country inimical to their own. This is true, folks. If political control is international, it must be of necessity be subversive of patriotism. I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So understand... Political candidates, they need to be subversive of patriotism. They need to do everything in their power to quench patriotism. Because, you see, they, they want to have an internationalist state of mind. They don't need people being patriotic to their country or putting their own country's needs and desires first ahead of others. No, that's not at all what they need. But let's continue reading. If it holds in its power the reckless forces of socialism and communism, it must be subversive of social order and the promoter of revolution. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Socialism and communism. They must be subversive of social order and promote revolution. What do we see happening in the American public, in American society right now? We are at odds over everything. We have been politically divided in such a way that the tension is thick in the air right now. And we're on the precipice of revolution. Why? Well, that'll lead us into deeper socialism and communism, as it were. All by design. That's what the intention is. That's why they want to keep us at odds over things of no real importance, keep us divided on factors that shouldn't really matter to people. And if we were really intelligent and could see through the charade and the facade that they present to us, in the news, and in popular culture, and in the entertainment, we would see that divisions by things like race and gender and all these things are nonsensical. But they keep this as the focus to keep us divided along these lines and infighting over things that don't really have any value, as it were. Things that shouldn't be an issue at all, they turn into an issue and they make it a prime issue. And we fight back and forth over this while they institute their controls even more and push their agendas even further along. But let's continue reading here. If spiritual control is anti-Christian, Gnostic and occult, it must be subversive of Christianity and religion. If it directs vice rings of all kinds, it must aim at the destruction of the moral, intellectual, and physical strength of the human race. 
going to pause for a moment here, folks. And this is one of the more profound thoughts presented in this book. Spiritual control is anti-Christian, Gnostic and occult. And it must be subversive of Christianity and religion. If it directs vice rings of all kinds, it must aim at the destruction of the moral, intellectual, and physical strength of the human race. So keep in mind, what do we see happening in the world today? Well, we see an attack on religion. Remember when Obama said that we were bitter clingers? We're clinging on to our guns and religions. We're under attack. It's a spiritual war, folks. It's spiritual warfare at its core. All of it. And the the goal that they're looking for through this spiritual warfare is the destruction of the moral, intellectual, and physical strength of humanity at large. The population at large. What do you think is happening in society right now? We're seeing moral degradation, intellectual degradation. We are so stupid compared to our ancestors now. A lot of this has to do with the onset of technologies as well. Artificial intelligence, computers. We're becoming so dependent on these things, we can't function without them. Think back. If you're the same age I am, You could remember a time when you had to memorize phone numbers. People's phone numbers, just to contact them, you would have to know their phone number, remember it. Now, a lot of people are hard-pressed to even know somebody's phone number at all, even several of the digits of them, because it's all pre-programmed into a device, and you just hit one little button, and it calls these people instantly. You didn't have to dial a number like you did back 30 years ago, didn't have to remember phone numbers, didn't have to be able to follow directions on a piece of paper, like a map or some such thing. You don't do that now. We did that kind of stuff back then. Not now. Now we'd get lost in a paper bag without a device to help guide us out. We don't remember anything. We don't remember facts. We don't learn anything because we're dependent on the machine. It's just a Google search away, after all. We have all this knowledge at our fingertips, and yet we've become stupider. And this is all by design as well. Can't do math without a calculator. There's a lot of people that can't do math anymore without a calculator or a computer or some such thing to help them to guide them. It's a sad state of affairs how far we've fallen, but this is all by design. This is the intellectual destruction. So we've talked about the moral destruction, the degradation in society that we see, all these morals and ethical values that have been thrown into the dustbin. All the atrocities we see happening today these things that are destructive to the human being, to the human psyche. We see them being promoted and celebrated. These moral degradations, this intellectual degradation, and not least of which, 
the physical strength, the physical degradation of mankind. We're being broken down. We're poisoned more and more each day by the stuff they spray in the skies, by the stuff they put in the food, by the things they call medicine, the vaccinations they give us, they try to give us. All these things have decayed the physical strength of man, of the modern human being, made him more docile, more controllable, more dependent upon others, more dependent upon machines. So think about that. This is a profound point being made here. You can know a tree by its fruits, says the Bible. Well, these are the fruits. Moral decay, intellectual decay, physical decay. These are the fruits of this tree. So that should tell you what this tree is, the nature of this tree. It's destructive. But let's continue reading here. Still a little bit to cover before we sign off tonight. If, in conclusion, finance is power, and as such is concentrated in one point, it is the arbiter of war and peace, life and death, welfare and wretchedness, prosperity and ruin. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Finance is power. Money, like I told you, money is a unit of measurement of social energy. That's exactly what this is reifying here. It would be the arbiter. Financial power is the arbiter of war and peace, life and death, welfare and wretchedness, prosperity and ruin. Let's continue reading. Everything, and it is sad to say almost everybody, has a price and can be bought, though not always with money, Men who today wield financial power have long since based their system of purchase on this axiom. Far be it from us to suggest that there are no idealists in every walk of life for whom the pursuit of either patriotism, religious mysticism, or philanthropy is unadulterated. On the contrary, we shall go as far as to say that such people become the best tools in the hands of plotters by whom they are led to believe that disinterested material help will be given them for the attainment of their ideals or aims. going to pause for a moment here, folks. So they're talking here about useful idiots. And there's a lot of useful idiots out there. The ones that really believe in the ideologies presented they really believe in them and they push them wholeheartedly thinking they're doing good when in fact they're pushing and promoting the agenda of these dark occultists unbeknownst to them they really sincerely think they're doing the right thing did we not see this across the board in the entire medical community over the course of the past three years with this situation that's been rolled out on humanity these medical personnel, and many of them still today, thought they were doing the right thing by trying to force people to get inoculated for this thing that may or may not exist that has every symptom under the sun, and even no symptoms is a symptom. And they bought into it wholesale, thinking they were legitimately doing the right thing. Well, do you see how devious 
this could be. This type of control. People really believing they're doing good. Walking around, promoting some of the most degrading things to ever hit the human spirit, the human body, the human soul, the human mind. And here we are. Let's continue on. The study of secret revolutionary societies will show many examples of remarkable cases of self-sacrifice on the part of genuine idealists, subversives of either religious, social, and political order, have ever known how to make use of such people by instilling into them the super-religion of the secret. It is against this secret that the fight should be waged. If the aims of secret societies are good, one fails to see the need for their secret oaths and initiations. The light, they promise, should, like the sun, shine upon everyone. I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. I couldn't agree more here. So understand, this is the thing. They use the secret as a tool of control. You belong to the secret brotherhood. You're part of the inner circle. You're one of the elect. You're doing good. You're doing the work, the light work. You're a light worker. Do you see how they've fooled people? There's no need for secret oaths or initiations if you're doing something that's on the up and up for all of humanity. You don't work in secret, in darkness, to do good things. Understand. Let's read on. To use the words of Christ, quote, Who lighteth a candle and putteth it under a bushel? End quote. Masonic and secret societies need light. Hence, light should be thrown upon them from without that their secrets may be revealed. As to toleration, indiscriminate toleration preached at random, it should be considered one of the exotic bases upon which are erected subversive creeds. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Tolerance, acceptance, diversity. Think about that. That should be considered the exoteric bases upon which subversive creeds are erected. That's what this says. Exoteric. So when they're talking about diversity, inclusivity, tolerance. Remember, it started as tolerance. Then it turned into inclusivity. Diversity and inclusivity. And we see that being pushed. This is a shifting of the Overton window. It started as tolerance, okay? Tolerance. Then it turned into maybe acceptance. And then it was inclusivity, diversity. We must accept these things, remember? When this is being done, understand, it's subversive. Always has been, always will be. Let's continue reading. Recognizing as they do the practical power of thought, Sects induce their novices to surrender their use of this power whose normal function, guided by the individual conscience, is to discriminate between good and evil in order to oppose the latter. Thus, they create a dangerous negative state of mind as opposed to the Christian or positive. 
The individual, when robbed of his initiative, can easily be swayed and guided by the will of others. Therein resides the power of hypnotism, and in this wise this shibboleth of toleration, which in fact paralyzes opposition to evil, serves an esoteric purpose suspected by few. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Toleration, tolerance, what this is really about. It paralyzes opposition to evil. You see, that's its true purpose. Its true purpose is to paralyze opposition to evil. So when you see all of these various moral facets here being pushed, these moral perversions, you have to be tolerant. You have to accept it. You have to play their little games, call people by the right pronouns and whatnot if they identify themselves a certain way. To do that, it paralyzes opposition to evil. That's what this is designed for. Because, you see, if you speak out against it, you become demonized by the public consensus, as it were, the popular culture. You get called a bigot. You get called a homophobe. You get called all kinds of different names. You become the object of ridicule. So this paralyzes the opposition to evil. Very much so. Because people don't want to be cast aside out of society. They don't want to be outcasts, right? So they go along to get along, and they become tolerant. And to become tolerant means you become more susceptible to the will of evil. More accepting of it, you won't oppose it. Let's continue reading. If the contents of this book may help in safeguarding the young and the unwary against falling into the pitfalls set by agents of subversive sects, its author will not have labored in vain. The work is far from being completed. It claims, in fact, to be only an attempt in the direction of inexhaustible research work upon the coordination of the aims of all societies, whether political or occult, it is to be hoped that others, and may they be many, will begin work where this book ends for, quote, The harvest is great indeed, but the laborers are few, end quote. And that's the end of the reading here, folks. So to reiterate, we have these occult fraternities, these secret society groups, members at the highest most levels of these organizations. They control the banking interests, the international banking interests, and they control all the way down the line these different facets of society. The international banks, first of all, international businesses, then education, science, religion, all of these facets of things, the political parties, the media, all of it, all controlled and run by some central figures within these prominent secret society groups. And here's the thing. It's not just one secret society group. It's all of them. It's all of them. They have the same members at the topmost levels of all of them. They're, they branch out in many different directions. 
But it's the same small control group at the top of all of these different secret society groups. This is the inner circle within the inner circle. This is what we would call the Illuminati. And that is an organization acknowledged to exist even unto this day. But they try to portray it as some type of a joke or some type of a uh, popular thing among the hip-hop artists and stuff like that. They'll cover their one eye and go around dancing on stage with their little pyramid pendant around their neck or some such thing and pretend like they know something. Pretend that they're some important big shot or they have some occult secret or power or some such thing. And it's all to make it look ridiculous to the public. But uh, rest assured, these groups do exist, most certainly. And they do have a modicum of power in this world that reaches very far. And they utilize that to their own ends. It's a very small group. And the primary tool for control they use in the modern era is money, a measure of social energy. That's what money is. It's a measure of social energy. Thus, it was imperative that they set up these centralized banks and control financial systems because to do that, they control people. What do you think economists do? Have you ever thought about what's the job of an economist? Sounds like a very boring job, doesn't it? Like crunching numbers all day and looking at money and investments and all of this kind of thing. That's what you think they do. Economists are social engineers, folks. Social engineers. Go and look at any notable economist that you can find in the world today. Look at what their degrees, their college degrees are in. Their primary will always be economics, of course, but they always have secondary degrees that go with these, you'll notice. Often in the social sciences, psychology, sociology, these kinds of things, they're social engineers. That's what economists do. They engineer societies. Money's just the measure that they use to do so. Because you see, we've covered on this program before, and I can't emphasize this enough. Cybernetics methodologies, and that is actually what has been applied to economics as a field of study. Cybernetics methodologies. If you can quantify a thing, you can control it. And that's what they seek to do. It's controlling social energy. Therefore, money is a unit of social energy. And they come up with various ways to quantify the value of a dollar, as it were, to use an example. And in so doing, they could control social energy. They could direct people in different directions to do different things that they want. Pretty much at the touch of a button on a computer these days. If they want to change your spending habits, they can do so. Can they not? Look at the inflation that we see today, this rampant inflation. Well, this is a hidden tax. 
So now we're paying more for things. So this affects your buying patterns, doesn't it? It affects the way you behave. It affects the things you do. It probably affects the way you eat. Probably affects the way you utilize medicine or medical care. Doesn't it? Probably affects your travel, where you go. Think about that. It's a measure of control. It's a unit for control. They could keep you under their thumb very easily. Especially in a credit-based society, which we are. We're very much a credit-based society. Now, what do we do about this? This is always the big question. What do we do? I don't have all the answers, folks. Wish I did. If I did, I'd tell you. But I would say the best thing we could do is become as self-sufficient as we possibly can, depending upon our circumstances and where we're at. The best thing we could do is to be prepared, to be self-sufficient, to be able to meet our own needs, whatever ways we're capable so if that means maybe growing a garden or some such thing and having food on hand or maybe raising some chickens or something so you have food, sustainable food that you could keep going yourself without the need of going to some outside source for it. That's one good solution. Keeping storable foods on hand so that you have an emergency backup in case of some catastrophic event. Whereas you might not be able to be dependent upon, say, a grocery store or some such thing. So you have something to eat and you can survive. Have some kind of a maybe backup generator or some such thing and appropriate fuel, therefore. So that you can have access to conveniences. Be able to maintain your facilities you own. A lot of different things you can do. It simply comes down to being prepared, being self-sufficient to some degree or another, being able to survive without needing some outside source to acquire your goods, And that could be something as simple as learning how to make your own clothing. There's a lot of different directions you can go with this. Utilizing whatever skills you have in a practical way. And maybe using the old barter system with some neighbors or some network wherein you could trade goods and services with one another without the involvement of an outside control structure. Without the need for going to a store or a provider somewhere and using money in that way. Nothing wrong with money. I think we do need a monetary system of some sort to maintain civilization here, as it were. We need some kind of an equivalence to use, but... I think in the near future, we're going to need to have our own outside networks, outside the main network, 
as it were, the main system of operation because they're trying to digitize everything and put everything through a digital system. And I think the day that we lose actual physical money is the day we lose as many freedoms as have ever been lost to humankind. So even though the system's not perfect, there's going to be a push on for digital currency, for completely going paperless, going to an absolute electronic currency system. And the infrastructures in place would be mostly very easy to do. But we need to still maintain some type of a physical currency, as it were. I think that's probably one of the most important things we need to do in the short term right now, is to reject this notion of a digital currency and stick to our paper currency or our coinage, as it were. Even though it is fiat currency, we still need some physical means of exchange in order to maintain some of our freedoms. So we need to not make that go away. And there are those in positions of power that want to make that go away, and they will give you a million different reasons why it would be a good thing. But we need to maintain physical money, as it were. Because if we don't, then we're in jeopardy of being at the total mercy of the state. And I don't think you want to be at the total mercy of the state. Look at what our government does today. Look at the corruption that's at play here. Would you feel comfortable putting yourself at their complete mercy? That's what it's coming to because one of the promises of a digital currency is universal basic income and that's how they're going to get a lot of people on board for this here we're going to give you thousand dollars a month or whatever it is they decide just for existing here you go it's all digital but by the way you could only use it to purchase things that we approve of that's how they got you it's going to be programmable digital currency With an expiration date attached to it, too. If you don't spend it by a certain date, it's gone. It's gone. And this is an absolute, absolute system of control. That's why we need to not let it get there, because it is the financial institutions, as we've seen here, that very much have a stranglehold on all of these things. And it all trickles down from there throughout all the different facets of society. So if we allow that to happen, we're going to see some really horrible things coming in the future. And I don't want that for my children. I want a bright future for my children. So we need to ensure that we don't ever go down that road of a strictly digital currency. It's bad news, folks. We've been warned about it in the Bible and various other places. This is what they call the beast system. We don't want to go down that road. I think we could put a stop to it if we reject the idea. That's all that we have to do. 
is reject that idea and stick with a physical currency. Use a, use a physical currency rather than a digital currency. That's why it's important that you support small businesses. And pay cash. Pay cash. These simple things might be enough to stave off some really wicked things in the future. And we need to start with that because, you see, it is the financial system from which it all trickles down, as we've seen. These dark occultists at the top of the power structure, that's how they cement their control, is through the money system. So if we speak with our dollars, and we speak with our habits of how and where and with what currency we exchange... Then, we could reject their system and their house of cards falls. So don't give in. Don't buy into the digital currency nonsense. Stick with cash where and when you can. Stick with small businesses, local businesses. Support them with cash. This is how we fight off part of this coming encroaching system. Just one small step. Like I said, I don't have all the answers, but these are some common sense things we could do in order to ensure that we have a better future than what these controllers have in mind for us. So keep that in mind. It all starts at the top with the banking system. The Bank of International Settlements, at the core thereof, this organization is controlled by some of these dark occultists who run things through their various agents that they have throughout these organizations. And this is how they institute, institute top-down control through society. As we've seen in the step pattern, as it were, given, listed in this book, written in 1936, warning us of these things to come. And now we're seeing them come to fruition in front of our eyes. And we know what's been done. We know where it's coming from. So we need to now, more than ever, reject these ideas. Reject these types of controls placed on mankind. Do you want to be free? Or do you want somebody else to dictate to you what you can and cannot do? This is the question we need to ask. Do you want some semblance of freedom? Or do you want to be a total slave? And that's the crossroads that we stand at today. And we know that these people are doing this, these dark occultists at the top, with top-down control, and it is a spiritual battle. And the best thing we could do is recognize that it's a spiritual battle. Stand our ground spiritually, morally, intellectually, and point out these things to people. Let the people know this is going on. Many of them sense something's wrong, but they can't quite put their finger on it. Well, once you realize it all ties back to the occult and the secret society groups and the control of the money system at the topmost levels and the push towards post-humanism. Sounds like a lot of unrelated things, but I assure you, it's all related. 
and it's all the fruition of their great work, as they like to call it. It's what they're pushing for and striving for. And these are the tools that they use to get it done. So now that we've taken a look at that, you can know a little something about the steps of control from the top of the pyramid on down, how it works, what they deem is important. And you can know where you can maybe make some kind of a stance and get an inroads towards eliminating their influence on the masses. It's a spiritual battle. Remember that. So, we know. And money is just the primary tool being used for this spiritual battle. So much so that the author of the magazine article that was quoted here referred to it as mammon. And you would know the reference if you read the Bible. Mammon. The notion of money being deified, being a god, as it were. And that's what's happened here. Trying to set up this false power structure in this world, opposed to everything natural. And they're using the currency system, the money system, the financial system, whatever you want to call it, to get it done. That's what it was instituted for. It's a measure of social energy, and that's what they use to steer world events. So understand that. When they say follow the money, it always invariably is true. Follow the money and you will know who controls you. Plain and simple. And it always ties back to these dark occultists. The secret societies, the occult fraternities, running the show. Drawing back from antiquity with their teachings and their philosophies. Anyway, folks, I hope this was informative for you. I hope that you learned something tonight. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Have a good night now. Come with me.
It's what we can make And open my 